Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to From Complex to Queens, a Mason Avenue's minor league podcast. I am Steve Seifer, and I'm joined this week by Ken Lavin and Thomas Henderson. Lucas, unfortunately, is busy doing science, so he will not be able to join us this week. But science is a really good thing, so... Do you guys actually know what he does? I don't really remember. Bioengineering, I think. Biological Hmm. engineering. I'm not pause. Smart things. <laughs> yeah, I know. Super smart things. He does. He does a science. All right. Well, uh, let's start off with promote, extend trade. And this week, well, this date, I should say, all the way back in 1258. So we're going back quite a bit. The Caliph of the Abbasid Empire. He surrendered Baghdad to the Mongols, and that effectively ended their empire. Because the Mongols sacked it, the city of Baghdad, to, like, a level historians still can't accurately, like, say how many died and and really comprehend. But that, you know, set the world back um, a lot intellectually and scientifically and technology because the Abbasid Empire was, like, really advanced. Uh, something that kind of doesn't get discussed much here, you know, in the U.S., unless it's kind of something that you're specifically studying. But yeah, the Abbasid Caliphate was 
pretty big and pretty advanced. It stretched all the way from northern Africa to the Arabian Peninsula to Mesopotamia. So that's like millions of square miles with a bunch of different cultures and stuff going on. So um, what are we going to promote, extend, or trade of these dessert foods that can be found in those regions today? So first we got baklava. Next we have halva. And last but certainly not least are probably the freshest, most rich, juicy fruits that you'll probably find anywhere else in the entire world. Talking oranges, um, really, really good citrus stuff. Really good, really good fruit. So what are we keeping and what are we getting rid of? Hmm. I'm probably promoting the fruit. Same. Same. You could do a lot of different things with that. Very good point. I feel like the hard part is not figuring out what we like and what we really like, but the hardest part is just figuring out what to get rid of. Yeah. Can you hit me with the choices again, Steve? We got baklava, we got halva, and then the fruits. What exactly is halva? Uh, halva is like a sesame-based um, sweet. It's really good. I think I'm going to promote baklava because I've had it before and trade the other one simply because I don't know what it is. Yeah. Fair. Fair. Yeah. I'm about the same thing because I've had baklava before. Big fan. Can confirm. Never had halva? Either one of you guys? Nope. No. Oh, it's so good. The The... I want to say the company is called Joiva or J O Y something. It's it's the factory and everything headquarters is in Brooklyn. They're like the world's biggest, which is kind of funny because it's like a Middle Eastern, you know, yeah. um, delicacy or dessert, whatever you want to call it. But they're the world's largest um, manufacturers of it. But yeah, if if you're ever in like uh, I don't know place that I know. Shoprite by my house has it in like the kind of um it's not frozen but well the refrigerated like their ethnic refrigerated section but yeah if you if you've never had it then definitely have some because it's just really really good all right um so this is going to be the last week that we're going to be discussing our top 25 lists for 2020 so just to recap, um, I love the sound of my own voice here. So we're going to go over the top 25 one last time. So number 25 is Alexander Ramirez. 24 is Jake Mangum. 23 is Ali Sanchez. 22 is Stanley Consuegra. 21 is Daniel Nunez. 20 is Adrian Hernandez. 19 is Riley Gilliam. 18 is Dyson Acosta. 17 is Tony DeBrell. 16 is Jalen Palmer. 15 is Freddy Valdez, 14 is Junior Santos, 13 is Harold Gonzalez, 12 is Kevin Smith, 11 is Joshua Wolf, 10 is Shervian Newton, 9 is Franklin Killame, 8 is Thomas Zipucky, 7 is David Peterson, 6 is Francisco Alvarez, 5 is Mark Vientos, 4 is Brett Beatty, 3 is Matthew Allen, 2 is Andres Jimenez, and 1 is Ronnie Mauricio. Now, 
I read the comments section. I'm probably in the minority on our site since I like the comments and I think they're, you know, kind of one of the most important parts of the site because, you know, a lot of a lot of good uh, baseball discussion can be found there. Um, but I've noticed a few comments along the lines of like Ronnie Mauricio shouldn't be the top prospect or conversely at the bottom of the list, you know, uh, Ali Sanchez or Jake Mangum or whoever, they, they shouldn't be on a top 25 list at all. So what I want to do this week is talk about what goes into making a prospect list. What makes, what, what goes into evaluating your prospects and then kind of ordering them. Um, everybody has different criteria. They weigh things a little differently, whatever else. Um, so for, for everybody, it's going to be a little different, but generally speaking, not only just on Amazing Avenue itself, but at other, uh, baseball outlets, you kind of see, you know, patterns. It's not like Amazing Avenue has, uh, you know, um, Antoine Duplantis as the number one prospect and, you know, Marani Mauricio is not even on the list. You know, no, no offense to Anton Duplantis, but just, you know, you, you don't see things that are kind of radical and crazy. There generally is a consensus among people that, you know, speak with each other like us or even places where, you know, we, we don't speak with the people at all and they are, you know, national guys that look down on us peons, whatever. Um, but for me and I think, all of you guys, since Lucas is not here, the most important thing is stuff. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, so... I, I think that's got Alan as high as he is on our list for literally yep. that reason. Just point to him. <laughs> it is good stuff. Now, when you're talking about stuff, I think that there's are two different... Um, ways to measure it um first person looks and then industry kind of sources um so for first person looks obviously it's you know you yourself go to a game and you watch the game with this kind of stuff in mind you know you watch a, a, a player and you know is he speedy if you if you have access to a a um uh, a, 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 a clock, you know, you're going to time him. If you have access to a radar, you're going to, you know, see how fast a pitcher is throwing. If you're, you know, have, know what you're looking for, you're going to watch the catcher and how is he handling things. Um, you know, you're going to watch the outfielders. Do they good, good jumps? Do the infielders have range? You know, all kinds of things. I'm lucky enough, I guess, uh, this year, well, not this year, this, this past season, to have gone to a ton of games. I saw Binghamton and Brooklyn, and I got an entire hands, yeah, homestand in Columbia and Kingsport. And obviously, you're not going to get a better sense of a player than seeing them yourselves. Um, an example, you know, coming into the, coming into the season, the 2019 season reports about Francisco Alvarez were that the defense needed some work. And then when I saw him, clearly the work had been done because he looked really good behind the plate. You know, the arm was 
solid, accurate, and he was pretty mobile and animated back there. So if we were still going by those 2018 reports, you know, it's, it paints a very different picture than the Alvarez that played last season. Uh, another example, Junior Santos. Uh, initially, the reports were that the fastball could touch, you know, 94 and that he was, you know, a, a big kid, but not as big as he actually was. And when I saw him down there, my gun had him sitting 94, 95, topping out like 97. And the guys charting him sitting next to me, their gun was was reaching 99. So, I mean, regardless of whichever one is more accurate, that's very that's that's a guy being on a very different level, you know, topping out 97 and 99 instead of 94. You know, it makes a a pretty big difference as a prospect. Um, Another guy. Uh, you know, tops out close to triple digits, Michael Tanya's. You'd think he'd be a guy, as Ken can attest, though, he's, you know, really not right now because yeah, there's not saw him else. in person. Yeah. Yep. It's like, yeah, it's really great. He throws really hard, but, you know, it only matters if you can locate, you know. Yeah. And that's something you'd only be able to, to tell, like, in person seeing it happen, you know. And I think this works in the other ways, too, with, like, Jimenez, where going on a Jimenez look from 2018, it's he's clearly the top prospect in the system. But that wasn't the case last year because of multiple yep. reasons. So it yep. goes both and, ways. And that's where the next part, you know, where, where the next place you're going to get reports of stuff, that's where, you know, this kind of is a drawback now from industry sources. That kind of touch and go um, you know, industry sources, I'm talking about scouts, beat writers, other prospect writers, newspapers, and other kind of non-baseball specific uh, reporters, stuff like that. You kind of need to determine for yourself who and what is reputable and who or what isn't. And I don't mean reputable like there's dishonest actors out there. Um, it's I just guess. a lot of information is flying around from... Right. Exactly. Like, like anything you read, there, there's bias, you know? Exactly. And people who think that they're reporting honestly maybe don't have the most accurate information. And Jimenez is an excellent example. Um, if you go to, you know, if you go to Baseball America or Fangraphs or MLB um, Prospect Pipeline, not to call those guys out or anything like that, but nothing mentions the fact that his swing was tweaked or changed. And I remember I was at a game in bingo and I got a text from either Jeffrey or Jarrett from, from baseball prospectus and, you know, that they were at the game and I, you know, went over and I was sitting with them and Jarrett, I think it was noticed that the swing had a lot more plane and we looked at older videos and lo and behold, it, it does. And, you know, you'll, you'll not going to find that at outlets that don't necessarily have guys with eyes on the ground getting kind of up-to-the-date information. A lot of these national sources, you know, they're they're big operations, but they kind of rely more on just contacts rather than first-hand reports. And those first-hand reports are always going to be more accurate than just kind of relying on what, you know, your anonymous scout, you know, uh, not friends, but your anonymous scout source that you need to find out information about the Mets guys. 
seeing your seeing these players, you know, and getting the most up to date information about them is more is going to yield better results than just kind of relying on people to tell you about these guys. No, yeah, for sure. Just I think that's where baseball is pretty interesting where like it's a sport that's going in such a analytical direction and it's such a numbers-based direction, but for prospect scouting, like you really need to see it. Like it's so different than what's going on in the major league level, I think, where like I can kind of look at a major league player's Fangraphs page and figure out if I think they will be good next year without really having to see that player. So it's it, it always strikes me as interesting looking at it differently from prospects and already major league players. There's just so much more noise in all of the statistics below the major league level that you know firsthand context becomes more important. Oh, for sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe one day I think. It's probably a pipe dream. It'll never happen because this kind of stuff will always be fiercely guarded and protected by teams because it'll obviously give them, you know, a leg up over the competition. But maybe one day there will be a way to kind of use analytics to more accurately identify, you know, certain things about prospects. You, you'll, you know, you, you could have one day trackman data available at every stadium, you know, in the future, maybe something even more advanced tracking more accurately, you know, the flight of a pitcher's path or, you know, swing minutia that, you know, video might pick up that, you know, is is not picked up now, whatever. But definitely for the time being, it is, yeah, kind of a, an old prospect stuff is definitely in a kind of old school thing where the eyes matter more than what the numbers say. Um, but that doesn't mean that numbers don't matter at all. Um, you just don't have to weigh them and kind of look at them with the context. Obviously, you want your player to do good rather than bad, but, you know, it, it really below low A, the numbers don't really matter at all. You know, at, at low A, high A, it's kind of questionable. Really, it's like only double A and triple A that you could really start making a strong, um, correlation between like the numbers and and possible MLB projection in the future but i think that the more important stuff than the actual pure numbers the most important things anyway are um a player's age in relation to the level and the numbers that they're putting up any trends that pop up and any splits that might pop up do you guys agree disagree think that I there's agree. anything else I agree, especially on age. I think the, I think that that goes under the radar a lot, especially with with the younger kids, like being 18 and being three years younger than everyone, at, like the average age of everyone else. That's a big deal at the, at the time that you don't really think about. And for someone to just be like average against people that much older than them at that age is hard. So for me, age is always something that I look at. I'm always looking at that to see to make sure if to kind of put everything in context. I mean. Yeah, age relative to competition is also something that I re- I believe in, at least for prospects. Like, and it, it's not always the case, you know. Sure. But like, I particularly get pumped when a player is, you know, really young and performing against older competition. Like that bodes well generally. Yeah, definitely. It's one of those things where, like, 
if you see it, it's good, and if it's not there, it's like, well, the you don't have to kind of like lose your hype on the prospect because of it. So it's it's kind of like a thing that you, it's like um like an icing on the cake type of thing almost. I guess is a good way to put it. Yeah, like we we always want to see them do good. So if they do good, exactly icing on the cake. But if they don't, you know, it is whatever because context. Yeah. Um, trends are an important thing. I think Ronnie Mauricio's first half and second half, they weren't radically different, but he hit a lot better. He hit almost 300 in the first half. And then he kind of, I'm not going to say spiraled out of control, but he hit a lot less than almost 300 in the second half. I mean, he ended hitting two, like 60. So Right. Like, that's, so, a, that's a big drop-off. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it's... You can't just look at the... Oh, you, you can't just look at the overall batting line and say, okay, X, Y, Z, because yeah. he was really good in the first half, and now we'll talk about age in relation to level. He's a young kid. He's never played so many games before. Clearly, he tired. And then the second half data, pan, you know, it, it shows that, you know, he, he was a lot worse. So... Um, splits, another, you know, related kind of thing that you need to be aware of when you're looking at the numbers. Take a guy like, um, Kevin Smith, that there was a lot of, um, divergence of thought, I think is a nice way of putting it, so. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I don't even know ahead. how to feel about him on my own, like, like, um, in, in my own analysis of him, to be honest. Because the statistics don't lie, but then you watch him and it's like, okay, like I, I don't really know which how you did that. Which to be like, the other thing there, which is that um, you know, stuff can work at lower levels that yeah. won't work up the ladder. So like, oh, yeah. you know, Kevin Smith can throw his you know pretty good slider and get a disproportionate amount of swings and misses in Double A, but is that going to project forward? You know. Yep, yep, yep. And that is why I think he was such a very divisive guy is because people are looking at just the numbers and not really um, taking into consideration too much else. And when you do look at the other stuff, then he's a very different kind of prospect than he is if you just look at the numbers and the ERA and whatever else. Yeah, by the numbers, he's one of the best prospects in the system because <laughs> he was, like, dominant, you know? Like, mm-hmm. If you if you if you're just looking at stuff like that, you're you're not doing yourself the you're doing yourself a disservice. Yep, very true. Um, all right, so you guys, you guys think that there's anything else that kind of goes into this? I mean, again, when when you have all this information in front of you and you're applying it towards a particular player, and then you kind of arrive at where you want to place them on your list you know that each person does it differently each person has their own biases and they'll put more an emphasis on one thing or you know uh won't consider another thing as much as something else whatever the case may be but that generally is the nuts and bolts you guys think anything else goes into it that i'm kind of missing i mean like upside versus floor uh, everybody kind of has a falls in a different part of that, you know, where those intersect for you. Yeah, 
Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, I tried to be a lot higher on upside guys this year than last year. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's easy to get caught up in the upside. Oh, yeah, no. And that's the I, fun part, and that's, like, what you want to see. You want to see the upside. Like, we went when we were talking about David Peterson, we were like, he's a boring dude, and that's, like, not a bit, not necessarily a bad thing for his future career, but it's also, like, it's hard for me to, like, pound the table for that too because it's just a floor he's a total floor play and some dudes are like that and that's fine and it's good to have a mix of those guys but sure. you know the guys that really get me excited are ones that you know have the potential to be impact talent you know yeah yeah that's what kind of makes this system a little more difficult to maybe um you know put it in any kind of order or maybe tier, whatever, however you want to look at it. Because there's so many guys that are at a lower level that you're kind of just looking at the upside, that it's almost like they're mirages. You know, you're, you're just kind of looking at them, thinking best case scenario, and that's kind of color your thoughts of them. And in a system like this where there's just – so many guys like that, you know, by and large, the entire system is made up of guys like that. It, it makes it kind of a little more difficult to then compare to the guys that are higher up in the system and have more experience, but maybe aren't as flashy. It's funny because I remember a couple of years back when we were doing this, I when, when the system was like, you know, in, in no order because I don't remember the exact order of these guys, but when the top prospects in the system were, you know, Travis Darno, Noah Syndergaard, Rafael Montero, uh, Dilson Herrera, Michael Conforto, Brandon Nemo, like you had such a stacked, like one to 10 almost that we didn't even really have to consider guys like at the bottom. Like I know my, my own personal, not rule or whatever, but like, I, I never really ever considered guys below <laughs> single A, <laughs> and and now it's like the yeah, best, it's completely Im- impossible. <laughs> it, they barely have anybody above single A, exactly. Yeah. So have to make the whole prospect list out of below single A, like, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> like, like it's to the point where a dude hits like 500 in a week of like GCL ball, and we're like, <laughs> oh, is that a top prospect? <laughs> because like, there's not the what else are you supposed to get excited about here? Which is, yeah. it's it's just crazy because this also, with how young these kids are, like in four years, we could be having the same conversation where it's like, oh, double A is stacked now. Like, triple A is like, there's all these kids knocking on the door that if they work out. And if they don't work out, then we're right back to where we are now, where everyone that we care about is super young and super, we don't, like, a question mark. Yep, these things are very cyclical, so... Hopefully, you know, nobody oh, is traded. Hopefully, uh, this round's version of, um, you know, the four or five kids in the Sally League for the first time ends up going pretty well. Yeah, that's... So it's uh, like another another relatively nice crop of people about to tackle, like, full season bowl for the first time. Gonna be a sack team in Columbia again, but that is literally what we said last year, and, yep. you know, didn't... Boy. didn't yeah, didn't turn out boy too great. Yeah, so. okay. 
All right, well, let's take a break here, and we'll be right back after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to From Complex to Queens. I'm Steve Saipa, and I'm joined by Ken Levin and Thomas Henderson, and we're just kind of wrapping up our 2020 prospect coverage for the year. So um, I published last, well, uh, at this point, maybe two weeks ago, how, you know, we each voted for, you know, the top 25 guys and how everything worked out. So it is a little difficult to just kind of say each guy, each one of us, and, and how we voted. It's kind of a thing that you need to look at. So I'll just kind of look over the lists and anything that stands out, you know, we can just kind of talk about. Um, first one, I guess I'll mention is Francisco Alvarez and surprisingly to me because you know we did these lists all the way back in like November so I kind of did forget how everybody you know actually voted until I had to look at it and publish it but surprisingly I was the high person on Alvarez and I figured Ken would have been that's kind of the one I want back (laughs) um I don't think I could get him to two just because Jimenez is so close to the big leagues um, but I, I do kind of, I would flip in hindsight, Alan and, and Alvarez. Yeah, so on, I on voted, uh, I voted Alvarez two, Lucas voted him six, Ken, you had him five, and Thomas, I, you had yeah. him three. Oh, excuse me, you had him four, uh, Ken. But yeah, that, that surprised me a little bit. Um, let's see. I think two through five are pretty much, or two through four at least, are pretty much interchangeable anyway. Yeah, I mean, like we were saying, like we were saying earlier, I, sometimes it's easier to conceptualize all these guys in like tiers rather than yeah, like just groups. actual numbers. And yeah, the, the let's say one to five or six, whatever, are it's definitely like the the top tier, and there's different variations more or less, but it's all the same names. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to sneak anyone else into that group. Yeah. Um, let's see. Everybody else voted Brett Beatty over Mark Vientos. I was the only one to have Vientos over Beatty. But that's a one of those columns that I think they're they're more or less the same player, just yeah, different. Pretty much everybody has them one after the other. So. Yeah, that's yeah, like yeah. at least for me, it's a little bit of a shiny new toy thing and also like Vientos is a little bit closer for me to being like I don't know if he could actually hit but like he has to start hitting and Beatty has more of an upside not more of an upside but like we we don't we haven't seen him struggle in in full season ball yet yeah exactly exactly Uh, let's see Lucas voted Joshua Smith all the way at 17 
I wish he was here. Although if I looked on his profile thing, we'd probably get a, a glimpse into his mindset. But that is definitely a lot lower than everyone else. I thought I was going to be the low guy on him, and I had him at 14. But I was uh, clearly not. Ken, you had him at 10. And, and Thomas at Thomas 9. At nine. Like. Yeah. Um, um, I like I like prep pitchers. Um, they burn out a lot, but there's upside. Um, and I especially like that there's projection with Wolf. I, there isn't I think, projection with a lot of guys in this system. Yeah, that and like even though I'm not in love with his mechanics, which is something that for pitchers like I care about a lot. I care. I like to see bad bad mechanics kind of scare me off a little bit, but like I don't really can't think of many other people who has the ceiling that wolf does in the system so that's why i was higher on him than everyone else definitely is a guy to you know if you, if you want to get behind he's a guy that you can get behind um again can, not too different from swr at all no uh, he is nope. a kind of more projectable simian woods richardson uh i i vaguely remember at some point in the comment i guess it was um in Wolf's on Wolf's page, someone in the comments was talking about how can you say with any kind of certainty, how can you project with any kind of certainty, you know, an eighteen year old kid say that he is going to grow more or is not going to grow more, whatever, um, when talking about the comparison between the two. Um and yeah, that's just something that, you know, you kind of have to if you have a have a hunch, or, you know you don't. Whatever, but that's how that is how you say with any kind of certainty. You know, uh, Simeon with Richardson, he's six two, six three, whatever, it, whatever it is. But he's a kind of not thick, not fat. He's, he's already he's, very strong. Right. He he doesn't look like uh, unless he physically grows more and goes from six two to whatever else. He's probably not going to fill in more without getting yeah. at like a bad weight. And there's already a lot of effort in the delivery. So there's a lot of effort and he's already extremely strong to get to 91 to 94. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what was the worrying part for me about him. Whereas I always Wolf felt like he should have thrown a stick figure. <laughs> yes. And yes, the mechanics are high effort, but you can really imagine him filling in a little bit. Because most guys, his size are not stick figures when they're 22, 23. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean that he is going to fill in. Right, He might right. not. But that's, but, you, know, you know, these are, that's why these are, are projections. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's see. So what else? I did not have Jordan Humphreys on my list at all. And I'm just was never really that big of a fan even before the surgery and now that he's had the surgery and he's come back and everything you know we need to see another year of him to get the rust off and everything i'm just not just not sold at all sure i don't i don't blame you for that but also like just at the the bottom of these lists this list and everyone else's list i'm sure it's so like blah kind of like there's just mm-hmm. like once you get past a certain point like you could put almost anyone in in those bottom in that bottom tier and i wouldn't really bat an eye at it just nope. because of how just it's it's hard to 
find people to put there. And related, I guess, um, to Humphreys is Thomas Zapucky and where we all put him. And I don't know about you guys, but I had a hard time figuring out what to do with him. Was it I kind of more cut and dry? Yeah. So, um, how I basically tried to approach the, from like below Vientos, um, where sort of the upside isn't as big. I basically thought, who's going to pitch in the big leagues in the next year and a half or so? And so that was David Peterson and then, um, Zapucky and Killame, assume, you know, with all the, the post TJ, you know, yeah. caveats that we do <laughs> with guys like Franklin Killame. But, um, so yeah, I kind of figured that there might not be a ton of upside because they're both almost definitely relievers and, you know, the early returns off of Tommy John weren't great for Zapucky and the track record in the system isn't good. You know, for Colome, I guess we'll see, but the track record isn't good. Yeah. Um, I, at least they're both going to pitch in the big leagues relatively soon. Yeah. I put Zapucky 10 and Kilome 11 and I was flip, flopping them around a bit. And the only reason why I put it that way was we didn't see Kilome last year and we saw Zapucky last year. So yep. like literally that's the only reason why. Otherwise, if it was the role to reverse, I would have switched them. It's both of them are kind of the same for me at least, which funny because they're different pitchers but like they're i also kinda... think just lefties pitch forever yeah <laughs> he'll he'll find a way to have a mlb career just because he's left-handed and... yep worked for plenty of other guys so yep. um hmm. ken you were the only one of us that had steven gonzalez so would you like to yeah he's gonna pitch in the big leagues and i, I like him more than you know Riley Gilliam. Had did you 22. Oh, 22. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, again. Yeah. <laughs> we, we probably had Walker Lockett at somewhere around there, right? Probably. Uh, no. Like a guy who's going to pitch in the big leagues is better than, you know, a guy who isn't, <laughs> I guess. Where is Gonzalez, you think, on the starting depth chart? It's got to be like six or seven, right? I don't know. It, I mean, once you get to the guys in the minors, it kind of gets I, very I think he's probably up. above Peterson just because hasn't he been there before, Gonzalez? Yeah, he does have yeah. a couple of starts worth of experience with um, Minnesota. I think yes. He was from, that's, yeah. That's where they claimed him from. He's definitely so he, played in the majors, but I don't he, know that like, long. Yeah, he was a weird case for me. I didn't really know what to make of him because he's a little bit older. Uh, I think he's like. He's 25. also never really been good. Yeah, like he has. Ex- he he's the kind of guy that has stuff that's like you know, put up good numbers in the minors, which he did, and then probably he's gonna get batted around in the majors, which he kind of did. I mean, it was a very small sample size for him in the majors, but still. And then of course he was injured and missed. I don't know if it was all or most of last season off the top of my head, but it was kind of like a, a weird profile for me to kind of, you know, where do I want to fit him in? And the fact that literally the Mets just kind of grabbed him, kind of an under-the-radar move at the after the year ended. Not much fanfare or anything like that. So, you know, you could if you have a guy like that and he's hyped up, I think that will color our... 
perceptions a bit. Um, Lucas had Scott Oda as his 25. I know that he's a, a fan of Oda just based on like the one tool and at that, at that low on the list, um, it is kind of a situation where you're just looking at like one specific tool or so. I know when I put Jake Mangum at the list at 21 and Thomas, you had him at 22 also. I think I was just looking again at just tools and he is a, you know, a plus defender. So plus defense tool and plus speed tool. That was at least my rationale. Yep. I'm completely in agreement with you. Mm -hmm. It's at that when you're that low and I had Jalen Palmer at 21 because of the speed and like he's also super young, but like, I feel like once you're at that level, at that so low in the system that, oh, a guy could play defense, yes, you could make my list because the tools we that could give him a little bit of a professional floor because he'll have a floor up until like double A and then whatever happens after that is up to his bat. <laughs> not really that great of a bat. In no, it's, it's not, but... Um... Let's see. Thomas, you also have Will Toffee as your 24 and Quinn Brody as your 25. Yeah. You like to explain those? <laughs> um, they're not good, but when I was at so low in the, in, when I was thinking so low in, on this list, I, I was trying to think of people who could possibly pop and I think those two people are, like, very outside cases to do so, if that makes sense. I can like, see I can see Brody having, you know, the, the bat with the power kind of. He does play a, a solid center field. Yeah. And there's a little bit of sneaky power. I could see him having a season where the, the power kind of shows up and you're just like, wow, Quinn Brody, where did this come from? Exactly. Like, that's kind of what I was thinking, and I was just kind of – I was weighing a bunch of people for those late spots, and for me, Brody is someone who I liked his defense, and he's hit a little bit, like not a lot, not a ton, but he's hit just a little bit where it's a little interesting where I want to see where it ends up. And yeah, that's basically it. Like, it's one of those things where the more I was thinking about the bottom of this list, the more it's so interchangeable. Mm -hmm. When you think about it, Brody is like. On the depth chart, if you ignore the just kind of, you know, veteran guys that are signed for injuries and whatever, Brody is at, like, scarily enough, like the top of the, of the list of homegrown um, outfielders. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> yeah, the outfield's been real thin for a real long time. Honestly, I could think of only one other homegrown uh, outfielder that would be ahead of Brody on the theoretical depth chart of guys. And uh it's Tim Tebow. Oh no. Do you think he's ahead of Brody? Or do you think he's ahead of Brody because he's Tim Tebow? A little of both. Uh I don't think that his baseball skills are ahead of Brody's. <clears throat> I think that if if Tebow wasn't injured and he didn't miss all that time uh last season, he definitely would be ahead of, of Brody in any kind of homegrown death chart. Um, but the fact that he kind of did miss time and obviously wasn't having the best season to begin with, 
makes a little makes the lines a little more blurred. But yep, that is a frightening thought. Yeah, like the outfield depth is scarily thin, and it's something that it's kind of like gone under the radar this off season. But like they're really close to having to call up some AAA players, and it's not good. Like mm-hmm. if they would have to do that. And really, that the AAA lineup in terms of outfielders is not looking too uh, great either. I feel like last year they had a pretty decent amount of veteran outfielders. Yeah, you know, guys, um, Rajay Davis, um, a few guys that did get the call. But right now, as it stands, Syracuse's outfield is Ryan Cordell. Jashoni Fargus, Braxton Lee, Jarrett Parker, and Tim Tebow. And that's not really, yeah, if, if a Mets outfielder gets injured. It's not really, uh, an inspiring group of characters here. They, they probably call up an infielder and like tell them to like, tell someone to stand and left or right. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I guess we'll get the, the JD Davis that's- and left. That's or, the Mets way. Yeah. Well, I'm assuming J.D. Davis starts and left. Because, like, the fifth outfield is probably Dom. That's true. That's true. So, uh, and you'll have Dom in the outfield, which is... Yeah. But at the same time, I guess I would have... I guess I have more faith in him than, you know, just Shawnee Fargus. Well, yeah, because Dom could at least pr- maybe hit his way out of his defense. And then they call up like Eduardo Nunez to fill the bench spot or whatever, even though he has a real shot at making the fifty, the fifty-three. Like I'm talking about football, the twenty-five man roster, twenty, or is it twenty-six this year? Will be twenty-six. In any case, it's not uh, not good. <laughs> not great, Bob. Did you guys have any just kind of stray observations about our individualists? Yeah. Not really. Yeah, it was a kind of it just you know it's a very tiered thing, like we were saying. That that top tier, that top, you know, one to six or whatever, like okay, it's the same name, just kind of different orders. Maybe there's another tier, like seven to fifteen, if even. Uh, I don't know, maybe it's really more like seven to ten where it's guys that are just kind of outside the top. And then really, you know, 10 to 15, whatever, to the bottom, then it just was really preference. And that makes fun when you're just getting everybody's lists and then you can say like, you know, well, what is this guy thinking? Or I wonder what his his thoughts are. But makes for a lot of uh, very, very few anonymous decisions across the board. As opposed to years past when, you know, everybody had Noah Syndergaard 1. Everybody had Travis Darno 2 or vice versa, whatever, you know. Those days are, you know, maybe maybe next season that would be cool if everybody takes those very important steps forward. But unfortunately, these are the Mets, so always expect the worst. All right, well, if anyone has any... Comments or questions, whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complex2queens at gmail.com. 
You can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I'm at Steve Seiper. Ken is at Ken Levin 91 and Thomas, Thomas is at, at the, at said Met season as the end. And of course, please subscribe to our podcast if you don't already do so. Rate and review it if you already haven't done so. And thank you for listening. And we will be back next week with uh, some spring training news, I guess. And until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets.